create the jukebox is so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kick it a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh yeah! Whoa, yeah, whoa, 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 whoa! whoa, whoa. It's us. It's Kyle and Louie, and it's Kick the Jukebox. Woohoo! Uh, hey, oh, no! Whoa! My iPad's falling <laughs> over. It's terrible. Uh, Everything's fine in here, folks. My iPad fell over. This but... is a DIY operation. We're well, uh, I, sometimes it. iPads fall over. That's true. You know, it happens to the best of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but who are you? Who I'm Louie. And I'm Kyle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I said I said it's Kyle and Louie like I was the same person two times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Th- this is Kyle and Louie. I'm re- I'm removing your voice from this from this radio show slash podcast. <laughs> yes. You're silence you're silencing me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what I, that's my goal. Louie's trying to silence the my brave uh the, the Jewish voices on this show. <laughs> <laughs> We're both Jewish voices, Kyle. Yeah, that's why you're taking out fifty percent. That's right. Oh my God, racism. Oh. Um. Yeah. So you're listening to us on kpis.fm, uh, and you're listening to us either on the archive there, or you're listening to us over. Uh, any podcatcher that you want now that we're a podcast again. Woo-hoo. So, yes, yeah, so if you're listening to us on a podcast, uh, all the song excerpts are shortened due to rights usage issues. Blue. What fun. Yeah. But uh, that being said, if you're listening to us on KPIS, then you get like all the music that we play and all the fun that we play. So, like, listen to us either way and, you know, give us a shout because we love everybody that listens to this podcast. It's true. In- uh, so including you- like random comics at like shows that you're at who apparently yeah, listen to us, which yeah. is very exciting, actually. Thank you, uh, Andrew Durso. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Andrew Durso who said he uh, 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 listened to my uh, listened to our show and really loved it. He listened to the Devo episode. So uh, any uh, KTJB heads uh, go back and listen to that <laughs> Devo episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, KTJB heads. That's all. That's all of us. Yeah, yeah. everybody's a KTJB head. Yeah. Um. And I think my friend Rosie Stevens is listening live right now. So shout Woo! out to Rosie Stevens. Shout out Rosie. Such a fan. She's she's great. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> So yeah, Kyle, uh, what have you been listening to lately? We we have some songs we want to cover that we have a, a now lost episode. Yes, we talked about some really cool songs live, but uh-huh. we're going to talk about them again for the point of posterity. Yeah. Um. So I uh as I was so yeah on the lost episode, um, <laughs> we talked about um the great album by the Birds, Sweetheart of the Rodeo. And uh, I wanted to play uh, the first track off of that album, uh, and it's a really great song. Uh, it's called You Ain't Going Nowhere. Should we listen to it? Yeah, do you want to listen to some of it now? Let's, yeah, let's, let's listen to it. it. Here's, here's it. the birds with You Ain't Going Nowhere here on kpiss.fm, the Golden Stream. Yeah, so there's that song. It is amazing. It wasn't such a cutoff like it sounded in a studio. It actually was a really beautiful fade out that I just did. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, that's good. Um, 
Yeah, I love that song. It's the first song off the amazing, very influential uh, Birds album, uh, Sweetheart of the Rodeo. And a um, little bit about this album. Uh, so the Birds had a lot of people coming and going. Uh, David Crosby had just left. Uh, they had done a few uh, more uh, psychedelic albums like uh, Dr. Bird and Mr. Hyde and yeah. uh, Notorious Bird Brothers. Um, and so they brought in this little-known guitar player known <laughs> as a Graham Parsons, and they brought him in. And uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, but... Ever heard of a little guy called Graham, Graham Parsons? Parsons? Uh, dads, dads out there. Have you heard of dads, Graham? Dads, 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 dads. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we just literally sent out a call for dads by like invoking <laughs> Graham yeah, yeah, Parsons. Yeah, that, this is like that's like the bat signal for dads. Yeah, the it really Parsons. is. <laughs> um, uh, and me. Um, well, you're a dad, probably. Well, I mean, like metaphorically, you know. Yeah, in my soul. Like you're like a sexy daddy. That's Ooh. what I'm saying. Oh, okay. yeah, I'll yeah. Take it. Um, but yeah, so he joined and he quickly and very aggressively moved them in a much more country direction. Yeah. Um, and it was just... B before that, they were really folk rock. Like, yeah, really, like, rock. the definition of yes, folk rock. Like, definitely. one of their big earlier singles was Turn, Turn, Turn. Turn, Turn, Turn. Which they is... they did a cover of Tambourine Man. A cover of Tambourine Man. Yeah. And, and, like, Turn, Turn, Turn is, like, it's like a Bible passage set to, yes. like, folk rock music. Yes. So, like, that's, like, that the real me. deal, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They were, like, the... Yeah. The, the, the quintessential early mid 60s folk rock band yeah um but yeah they went in this much more deliberately country country rock direction and it really confused people and in its time it did not do well um but uh it, since then it's you know widely regarded as the classic it should be but the this song in particular also it's funny like this so this is a bob dylan song so they he wrote it and then they this is the first version that was recorded and then Bob Dylan uh later recorded it again i think he put it on his like greatest hits from the early 70s or something um but it's funny like they they chose to record a Bob Dylan song because they thought it would be uh like a uh, uh like it was it would be easier for their fans to accept cuz they were kind of known for Bob Dylan covers earlier in their career like as if this would, uh, you know, be like, oh, it's a Bob Dylan song. Oh, maybe not realize that it's like a full country album, you know. But uh, but Bob Dylan also at this time was kind of going in a more country direction. He was doing like Nashville Skyline and John Wesley Harding too was kind of a uh, country infused. So it's a really cool relic. And um, well, well, okay. Well, here's a question: When you say that a lot of those uh, artists from the late '60s were very country influenced, but it took maybe someone like a Graham Parsons to sort of almost come out of the country closet with his, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you mean like they were secretly all listening to it and into it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, or, yeah, I would say so. Um, and then this album sort of kicked off a wave of country rocks with to mixed results, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, yeah, that's but, true. But I think, I think the Graham Parsons stuff was like, always really rooted in like like roots country and uh 
And uh, yeah, I think like yeah, P- P- like toward the end of the '60s into the '70s, people started kind of like embracing country, ign- coming coming out of the country closet slowly. Yeah, slowly yeah, surely. Yeah, you know, um, Mike Nesmith from the Monkees was really into country mm-hmm. and formed a country band after he left the Monkees called First First National Band. I didn't know that. Oh but, yeah. But what would an episode of KTGAB be without a Monkees <laughs> reference? And now I'm going to go walk into the Hudson <laughs> because all of my references lead back to the same place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, it's it's interesting because I feel like you know this album did a lot for sort of uh, combining and hybridizing music and also like kind of um was these young more liberally minded men reclaiming these uh americana sounds for themselves right right? and and i think that was kind of graham parson's missions yeah make country music like hip for the kids yeah yeah absolutely make country music hip for the kids and also you know it's such a great expressive genre yeah and these these young people <laughs> these, <laughs> these young, young people, people had a lot to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> but they did you know and um they i think they were sort of sick of country feeling like it was a little more conservative and stodgy yeah. and and a little more right-leaning yeah uh when they identified with the sounds of country definitely yeah you know um, yeah and it's it it's very like they they to think about this is like came out in 68 like summer of love mm-hmm. and they're literally doing a cover of the christian life by the lumen brothers yeah we've talked about we've covered <laughs> the christian life before yeah. and it's a really good song yeah. yeah and the birds did do a cover of yeah. it yeah. yeah and it shows that those were their influences and like yeah it totally makes sense that musicians like the birds would be really into like these strange <laughs> Honestly, like yeah, these like strange dudes gospel-y, like really preachy aggressive uh country music with yeah so it, it, it it's a very cool concept uh and it's a great record yeah absolutely yeah thanks for bringing that in kyle Woo-hoo! i'm just gonna uh put the password back in the computer so we can see what's going on that's so but exciting during that why don't you uh ask me what i've been listening <laughs> to lately uh here we go yeah Louis? yes what have you been listening to lately uh, I've been listening to. I want to talk about the germs this week. Classic. Well, uh, in in keeping with uh, in keeping with our uh, great country theme we got going, we had to play the germs, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it fits with our California theme That's because true. both the germs and the birds are L.A. bands, and uh, the band we're going to talk about later, the Brian Jones Town Massacre, they are uh, L.A. band too. Yeah, that is absolutely correct. Originally. Anton's originally. Yeah, originally from California, although they moved around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, but I want to talk about the germs because we just lost the germs' bassist, Lorna Doom. And uh, Lorna Doom was, you know, a, like, pretty phenomenal hold-it-down bassist for a... um, for a band that... Hold on, I'm just putting the password into the computer. Oh, Mm -hmm. you guys should see him. He is so... Uh, he's he's also holding a baby in his hand too, so he's well. Really... I'm holding a microphone in my hand. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. That to, to us, that is our baby. <laughs> totally, it's totally our baby. Mm-mm-mm. Let's see if this one password's works. Password's been changing around a little bit. So. Oh, the the other password worked. I love it. Okay, we're back, and we were recording the whole time, and we're broadcasting. Everything's fine. It's just that I want to see what's going on. You know, of course. Anyway, yeah. So. The germs were 
really considered one of the first, if not the first, hardcore bands. Yeah. They played their music real fast. Yep. There was a real uh, dissonance to the vocals where it was kind of hard for people to understand what you know the lead singer Darby Crash was, was singing Especially about. Especially live when he's like, just like fucked up beyond belief. Yes, because he was a raconteur <laughs> to, to really be a man about town to be nice about it yeah yeah he he was the germs had a uh they're known for having a really nihilistic streak yes. and darby crash uh infamously died uh by with a heroin overdose when he yeah. was in his how old was he 21 he was yeah. like 21 22 and he wrote uh, a suicide note sort of you know claiming that he you know wanted to kill himself so that he would always sort of stay young and beautiful forever yeah and you know he felt that was the most rock and roll thing ever and he thought that it would solidify him as a very famous dude and he died the same day that john lennon died (laughs) and so you know his death was really eclipsed so he didn't really even get that right uh yeah and uh, the germs are interesting and they're they're complex and i think that they sort of have a complex legacy so let's listen to a little bit of lexicon devil and then we'll talk about it we'll talk about what the complexity we'll talk about the complexity kyle (laughs) here we go lexicon devil by the germs here on kick the jukebox on kpiss.fm Okay, so how how are we feeling about that? <laughs> how does that make you feel? Uh, it's uh, it's good because uh, I'm really hungover. So the fact that oh, uh, I was able to uh, the fact that I was able to enjoy it means I'm recovering. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That would be really hard on a hangover. Oh, I feel it's true, but no, I'm doing well. And it's good, good drunk, know, bad on a hangover. Yes, exactly. But uh, but it is uh. But it is surprisingly melodic. Oh like, yeah, it has a. It's like a. It is a. There's a pop song there. Absolutely. Oh yeah. There's a. There's a pop song there. There's like a clarity to it. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's a complexity to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. So this song is very lyrically dense. I was about to say I. I'm. I'm pulling up the lyrics now because. I've never been able to understand it, and I've yeah. never known what the lyrics are. So, Louis, tell me a little bit about it. Well, it was written from the perspective of Hitler. That's something to know about it. Yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk about that. And it, it, the reason why he wrote it from the perspective is, of Hitler is that he was sort of, Darby Crash was fascinated with being a cult leader. Mm. And he believed that sort of words could change the world, which they can, and the power of verbiage and words. That's why the name of the song is Lexicon Devil. Uh. And uh, mm. so, so yeah, this song is about uh, basically sort of enrapturing people through using your words. Mm. And, and uh, for me, it comes at a kind of an interesting it's a little I've had an interesting month to talk about this song because I was I was in Spain earlier this month Mm. and just the reason why I want to bring it up is that it was like because of the language barrier it was the first time I was interacting with people for a really long time and couldn't just like charm them with my (laughs) my my beautiful my beautiful words and and I think that like 
this song, it's interesting that that those the concepts of this song, but like this song doesn't hit you on an intellectual level initially. It hits you actually yeah. on a real, really gut level right. because it's it's so um, sort of frenetic and hard hitting and. Yeah, there's a visceral, there's a visceralness to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's very true, and uh, yeah, and I think, but I think that's, uh, and I think especially in the punk movement, and you think about kind of the that scene, and specifically, I think of the Sex Pistols, that there was this um, sort of uh, friction between uh, wanting to create a, a scene that really. Um, that really uh, valorized like individuality, mm-hmm. but also in creating a scene that is distinct, you have there has to be some conformity too. Sure, and I think that contrast comes out clearly. And I, I can't speak to exactly what wh- where Darby Crash stood on Hitler or you know, and because there's also that's... a co- complex uh, punk relationship with uh, Nazism too, but. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but just highlighting the fact in in this song um, that you know at one point you you're he's describing the ability of someone like Hitler to control people with absolutely. his words. Uh, but then also there is you know you, you you both it's both valorized in punk and then kind of pushed against. So it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- and that's also sort of the inner conflict that punk represents. That yeah. also is like a inner human conflict as yeah. to like you know the desire to control versus the desire to acquiesce yeah. to control you and know the desire to be individual and the desire to conform yeah and that and that also definitely relates to sort of like the whole world of like bdsm sexuality which yeah, is certainly yeah. something that like punk has brought a lot of like uh you know iconography from and yeah. fashion from and that yeah. kind of stuff too so like it, it to me it all makes sense it sort of was all in this big beautiful blender that I consider like the early punk music that I really love and I listen to. And you know, the other thing about Darby Crash that I just want to mention is that he identified as as gay. Hmm. He wasn't really out though at the time, although he was sleeping with men. Hmm. And do we do, we, do, we, do uh, just question maybe uh, do you know how we know that like just people have said yeah 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 i think it's just been confirmed by his close friends who yeah. knew that that's what he was up to okay yeah and um no i'm just i'm just making this up I'm just, <laughs> everyone's gay for me yeah. i'm claiming everyone who i like who's a musician no, or artist mean, is gay i didn't mean to uh, I, I i was just curious yeah how, yeah like, whether he came out or like wrote something or no yeah, he never really he never really came out um i mean there's some there's some uh, lyrical hints, mm. uh, but he never really came out properly in the way that like a modern, you know, uh, queer person would come out. Mm, yeah. But uh, I really like reclaiming the germs as part of queer culture, mm. because at least for me, it, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. And I think that, you know, something about growing up as a, as a gay person is like, trying to find those cultural influences that work for you that sort of lay out a template as to who you want to be. And there's a lot of gay culture that I just don't really relate to. You know, like, yeah, I like Cher. (laughs) You know, Kyle, you probably like Cher more than I do. Believe is my go-to karaoke song. Yeah, you love Cher. (laughs) Yeah, you know, like... And and there's definitely some stuff that I align with when it comes to that, but a lot of it I I don't. And I feel like these sort of 
feelings of needing to be in control and and the the outsider aesthetic to this music for me makes a lot of sense in the way that I define myself. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I I just want to bring it up that like if you do a little bit of digging, there's a lot of very diverse artists for your uh, taste palette, for your aesthetic, for the way that you define yourselves. That yeah. you don't need to just be a cookie cutter. You don't need to stop. You don't need to stop at Lady Gaga. Amen, you know. brother. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, brother. Oh my God! Expanding <laughs> our definition of queer. <laughs> I love it when Macho Man Randy Savage comes in and tells me my <laughs> to expand my definition of queerness. Amen. Yeah. So yeah. So for me, it was really this has been nice, sort of delving into this. This uh, you know over the last few weeks and thinking thinking a little more about about lexicon devil and the germs in general Hell yeah! Oh, and that seems to be a great segue not at all but we're <laughs> gonna move on to talking about um thank god for mental illness this brian jonestown massacre record we got to it. It, it we we were supposed to talk about it on the lost episode uh we had some technical problems then and now the long-awaited brian jonestown massacre we've literally been waiting for like almost a month to do this <laughs> so it is good i'm real i am really happy that we're doing this yes, so so kyle you wanted to talk about this record yeah. so I'd love for you to kick us off like why wh- wh- what does this record mean to you and and tell us a bit of the story behind this record and we'll go from there sure so uh i I fell in love with the Brian Jonestown Massacre, as many people did, um, because I saw this documentary called Dig. Yeah, which I recently watched in anticipation of this. Which, uh, which, which is in. So it's a. It's about um, the sort of love hate relationship between the Brian Jonestown Massacre and the Dandy Warhols. Yeah, Um, and prior to this documentary, or what? What is documented in the documentary is sort of the struggles of each band and sort of the rise and fall of each band it's really 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 compelling and well done i love the documentary and i'm very curious to see to see what you think but um (laughs) spoiler alert i enjoyed it (laughs) (laughs) uh but essentially uh the brian jones or the dandy warhols were were sort of on the rise this documentary came out in the late nine or came out in 2003 but it was filmed in the late 90s um and the dandy warhols are sort of they they came up together but the dandy warhols are kind of blowing up um and they had uh um this song bohemian like you which was in like a vonage commercial or something yes uh and uh so they're kind of blowing up but they but there's this friction between the two lead singer and, and the and the brian jonestown massacre they're sort of uh, struggling to become successful, but they are the much better and much more uh, revered band, and their lead singer and primary songwriter and pretty much multi-instrumentalist Anton Newcomb is this classic uh, fraught musical genius who, with a bad drug problem, who um, is impossible to work with. He gets in fights all the time on stage. Uh, he just is cr- creating complete chaos, con- totally out of control uh and then the lead singer of the dandy warhols um courtney taylor taylor is sort of reveres anton for kind of being able to have that pure genius natural uh ability um but but you know they're they're doing much more uh, they're doing much better um and there's kind of a tension between the two bands so that's kind of the summary of the documentary yeah um but at the time 
Um, uh, so, so the the documentary came out right after um, the Brian Jonestown massacre, which who were notoriously uh, prolific. Um, they came out with these three incredible albums. Um, it was their Satanic Majesty's second request, a play on the Rolling Stones, their Satanic Majesty's request. Yep. Uh, then it was um, Take It From The Man, and then uh, Thank God For Mental Illness. Um, and these all came out in one year in 1995. And yeah, prolific. Prolific. It, completely insane, really, if you think about it. Totally. Like, he was a songwriting machine, it's insane. and the songs are good. All three albums, the song the songs are incredible. Yeah. Uh, every yeah. single one. And they all came out in one year, and he was just pumping them out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, the last one was Thank God For Mental Illness, the album we're talking about today. And... Um, so and you know, uh, I would say the sound is so they they were kind of known for being somewhat '60s revivalists, but they were uh, they're so much more than that. Yeah, uh, that's like the you know if you have to give them one genre, they're kind of like '60s revivalists. But uh, this album, kind of in keeping with the country theme, had more like full country lo-fi uh, sound, and um, uh, a lot of it stripped back. A lot of it doesn't have any drums uh, mm. most of it doesn't have any drums very little percussion um but it's just so rich and uh and and his ability and they talk about it a lot in the in the documentary but they're really right about it is just like it, it, it you cannot pin it down to a particular time like you could listen to it blind if you'd never heard of it and you'd have no it's it exists out of time it has 60s influences but it's clearly rooted in the 90s it sounded very modern um, the, you know, it sounds like country, but it's rock. It has everything in it, and it's amazing. Oh, what a what a great summary! <laughs> Let's get into the first song, and then we'll talk about it a little bit, and you'll hear what we're talking about because I do think the production on this song is really worth kind of delving into a little Definitely. bit. It's it's the ballad of Jim Jones. So here's Brian Jonestown Massacre with the ballad of uh, Jim Jones. And that's the ballad of Jim Jones. Gor- oh, such, it's Lord. so gorgeous. It's, yeah. Oh my god. It's a beautiful song. A brilliant melody. Um, so catchy. We were both, you know, we were swaying uh, back and forth. Yeah. yeah. We, that's not, that's, especially nowadays, it's not often that a pop song makes you just sway back and forth. But also, it it hits so hard. Um, so this song is so interesting to me. One, uh, and. This song, like many on the album, is in 3-4 time. Yes. Um, There's a lot of waltzes on this record, totally. And when do you hear that on, like, a a pop record, you know? Yeah, Uh, that's a good point. It's so, what, like, an amazingly kind of bold choice to, like, have tons of songs in 3-4 time. Yeah. Um, And then it kind of, it's like, you know, it's in 3-4 time, it's got this waltz, so it's kind of like a, almost like a sea shanty, but they've got, like... 
this and he and he does this so amazingly because famously this this album was recorded for seventeen dollars in yes. one day out of his own pocket out of Anton Newcomb's pocket yes which so, is really fun yeah yeah and uh, I mean and and Anton apparently like he would hear whole songs in his head uh, with all the instrumentation and orchestration <sighs> and. Uh, and you could see why he could drive people crazy is because he was an absolute tyrant, but he was this brilliant genius, so you had to just sort of succumb. Like, the product was always incredible. Um, but it's amazing what he does with... It, and it is, like, a deliberately lo-fi sound, And uh, but, like, I think it's a 12-string guitar that he's playing, and he's playing it a lot. So he's got this, like, country... A little bit of country, a little bit of sort of like a sea shanty, but there's this like 60s style like drone in the back that he's creating. Yeah, it's sort of a bit of a Spectresque wall of sound. Yes! It's just you're kind of hearing everything all at once. Exactly, yeah. and you hear it a lot on this song, just what he's able, like that wall of sound that he's able to create with like, you know, whatever, 8-track, whatever he was recording on, like I'm not a gearhead, but like, you know, he's it's really lo-fi, but he still is able to create that wall of sound, and it's amazing. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. I want to backtrack a little bit because I feel like this is a good point to have this discussion. Mm. Like, so you said, you know, that Anton Newcomb, you know, heard songs in his head, was a genius. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I would certainly label him uh, really, he's very brilliant musically. Uh And that you just had to succumb to his, you know, to his, to his, sort of his, his mental health bullshit. Yes. Sort of how I describe it. And also his, uh, also I would blame Based on the documentary, uh-huh. uh, blame his his drug addiction as well for Definitely. causing him to be really I- irrational and and um, really really horrible, really yes. difficult, really hor- And and it, and that's and I think it's people are less forgiving of it now. But I think especially you know back then and throughout history, people have sort of glamorized this like yes, cra- you know the crazy genius artist. Yeah, uh, but you know. Um yeah he he is he he is and was horrible to people. Yeah, and that's just something that I want to stop and it's like something about the entire documentary in terms of the conflict mm-hmm. between Brian Jonestown Massacre and the Dandy Warhols is they're all being the bands are being led and mostly populated by these sort of like shitty entitled dudes yeah and i think that it's a very 90s story right in that we i don't think that we would let these people get away with what they get away with now like you i think you have to be a little more pulled together in order to have artistic relationships in like 2019 compared to like 94 you know yes definitely Um, and and ultimately i think that's good for everybody's like (laughs) well-being and like health but also it's like such an interesting societal progression, I think, you it know? It really is a relic, um, you know, to, just to see these, like, really, yeah, definitely just these entitled, like, straight white dudes just shitting on everyone and <laughs> just demand, treating people horribly, demanding to get their own way. Yeah, um, and like and like fistfights on stage, oh, like physical violence, physical you know? Physical violence, yeah. Which, which was considered very rock and roll. Exactly. You yes. know, but but like... You know, how much of that is really necessary for rock and roll to be powerful? You know, that's my question. You know, can you be a peace-loving band? (laughs) You know what I mean? I believe you can. Yes, absolutely. But there is definitely a darkness and a sadness, this entire record. Yep. 
and this sort of pervasive psychedelic scariness yes that i think has to do with the fact that these were fucked up people writing fucked up so or a fucked up person writing fucked up songs with yeah. fucked up people helping him out <laughs> yes um Definitely. in terms of playing them live yeah you know and like really like probably if anton newcomb was starting now he'd probably be like a laptop musician in his room right interesting don't yeah. you think oh, you know yeah. i don't well, know if he, he would he, need he, a band right because he would he had the he had he, he would now have the capacity to literally do it all himself yeah um and it might allow him to uh, like continue to be really difficult and not have to pull his shit together in order to work with people, which ended right. up happening with him. Yes. You know, apparently he's gone clean. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you know, they've had some reunions. They've had some reunions with a lot of band members that, you know, really left under contentious circumstances. Oh, yeah. And yeah, they yeah. did a great show about a few years ago at Glastonbury and it was very cool. To, they, they all got back together, but, um, but yeah, I mean, and and that that that's what I like about the documentary too is that like I have had my own struggles. I mean, not nothing like that. Uh, not not. Are you nothing. a heroin addict? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've had my own struggles with heroin. Uh, no, and, but, and if you had, I wouldn't judge Kyle. But oh, I thank you. I just and we don't, don't judge Anton. No, <laughs> no, certainly not. It's just it's just a, a component as to what made. That's also very nineties too. The, the story the, of the album, you know, right? Yeah, it is no. very nineties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> heroin in itself is very nineties. Yes. Uh, um, Thank God. Yeah, Ugh, yeah. What a gross now drug. It's a, now it's all these other opiates. But um, yeah, I digress. Uh, but, <laughs> um, no, but, uh, you know, I can sometimes be a control freak with my own art and comedy. Uh, but there have been times when I have, you know, had to collaborate with people. And it is I mean, I think this documentary captures that tension better than anything. Uh, just the the. You know, when you you he had to create a band because when you play songs, you need multiple instruments, mm -hmm. you know, and, Agreed. and if and someone mentioned in the documentary, he's like, if he could, he would be it would just be like, you know, 10 Antons up there. You know, he just you just need other people to play the instruments. And so um, it just really captures that tension so well of he has this vision. He has it all mapped out in his head. He hears the full orchestration, um, but he still needs these people and who both revere him and despise him. Yeah. And and I don't really know if uh, I could say that being a solo guy versus being a... Um, you know, a really, really good collaborator. If one is really more important than the other, right. when it comes to being a good artist who gets their work across to people, you yeah. know, yeah. And that's 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 sort of the trickiness of it all. Is that some people like to work alone and get forced <laughs> to work in groups. Some people like to work in groups and have to learn how to be solo, go solo. Aim. Amen, brother. Oh, <laughs> Macho back. Man. Amen, brother. He's my fave. <laughs> Macho Man, we're gonna let's listen to our second song. Sure. Do you want it? Do you want to intro it for us, sure. Macho Man, Randy Savage? Yeah, I think Louie, you wanted to listen to this song, and uh, this song's called Free and Easy. Yeah, let's uh, step into Free and Easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy.
What a good little country banger that is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, what a good little song. It's it's one of the lighter songs on the record. Definitely. But it also is about like enjoying life while you can, basically before your life goes to shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I feel is a very Anton song to write, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, live it up now because everything is going to be horrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and that's I want to touch on this regarding this song and regarding the whole album. A lot of the songs on this, like so far, we've listened to something. It's like a very straight ahead, like sort of light country ballad, Uh and then we've listened to "Ballad of Jim Jones," which is like almost like a sea shantyish waltz. Mm -hmm. And I think that what one of the things that is really smart about Anton Newcomb as a as a songwriter is his ability to work within these very well-known structures but say new things lyrically and also like put this pervasive kind of as we talked about before this film over everything that makes it all very different you know yeah absolutely i think he's able to um you know i i i you know love the music i think he really has this ability to synthesize like the history of pop music up to that point, and it's all swimming around in his head, and it all kind of occupies equal space. Yes. So that when it comes out, he 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 recognizes like genre differences and stylistic differences. Definitely. But, but they're all kind of uh, given equal weight in his head. So when it comes out, you have this like incredible hybrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really, that's what makes it so unique. So it's like this sounds like a. It, it's got elements of like a fun little country song. It kind of reminds me, speaking of all tying it all together, kind of like Nashville skyline era, Bob Dylan. Very um, much so. Oh, very much so. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's definitely an influence for this. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, there's little flourishes in it, you know, cause he has the, like the female kind of gang vocals in the background and, mm-hmm. uh, which, and they're, but it's, it's also so sparse. Uh, but it, but it like, you know, it's just him guitar and the only percussion is clapping. Yes. You know, it really set like, and uh, actually interesting. They play, uh, this song in the documentary, they play it on the subway, I think. That's right. Were, yeah. And, uh, and it, you know, that's kind of like what you imagine when you listen to it, even on the recording, like just some guy like busking or something. Um, but you know, in all the, any, all these elements, uh, kind of make it something totally unique. It's not like a you know, super produced sixties Nashville type country song. It's something different. No, no, it's something that's maybe a little more bass and yeah. sort of hits you in the gut. Definitely. And and I, I think that this might be a good time also to just sort of address something that I think is so interesting about this record is that it's like very clearly psychedelia. Yep. Like it really has this sort of strange uh kind of sheen over the whole thing that mm-hmm. things aren't quite right yes which definitely uh like you the know guitars almost sound like a little out of tune yep the guitars <laughs> sound a little out of tune everything feels a little far away from the microphones yep yes which i think is is really cool yeah and uh, the reason why i want to bring it up is that the whole concept of a psychedelic album originates from the late 60s And a lot of the stuff that was coming out in the late 60s that was psychedelia was either heavier than this, Mm. like it was like very guitar driven and uh, and meandery and um, 
really took you in and out of these p- musical passages. And I certainly don't mean that in a, in a negative way towards that music. No, I, I like a lot of that a lot, actually. And they kind of experimented more directly with that on some of their other albums. For sure. Yeah, yeah earlier albums. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And... Um, uh, and then, and then the other sort of side of psychedelia was sort of this like cotton candy bubblegum, you know, which we've addressed on the show before, which is sort of m- some of my favorite music. Definitely. But this uh, this album, I think, is actually a much more honest psychedelic uh, album because a lot of the stuff on this uh, album is scary. Yeah. And right. Uh, you know, psychedelic experiences aren't, you know, either 100% negative or 100% positive. They sort of swing, they're very emotional and they sort of, you know, bat you around and really make you confront certain things about you and your life. And this album's a little creepy. Yeah, and they make you feel, you know, I feel a good psychedelic experience makes you feel very small. Mm. Uh, and sort of makes you feel, it makes you feel at one with the universe, but also makes you understand that maybe your problems are, (laughs) are infinitesimal (laughs) within the vastness of space and the cosmos and the, and the multiverse. Hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, uh, uh, like to be honest, I think that's kind of, yeah, that is the vibe you get here. Like, you yeah, just, like, <laughs> <laughs> totally. No, I do think so, and I also do think that there's a, a heroin influence. And in, like, full disclosure, I've never done heroin. Oh yeah, me so, neither. Unfortunately, uh, so we're we're not speaking from experience. Here. Maybe we could do some heroin yeah, before just, the next episode. And instead of reviewing an album, we could just review <laughs> heroin. heroin. Yeah. yeah, just to be able to speak from a place for a place of authority. No, I don't really want to do heroin. It <laughs> seems real gross to me. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, you're the right. The reviews are out. Yeah, the <laughs> reviews are out. Heroin is, yeah, heroin is the, um, oh my God. Heroin is so passe. Yeah, To heroin. quote the Dandy Warhol song. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's a good little connection <laughs> there. But yeah, I think that he was probably really going through these major emotional swings from the heroin. And I think it's just really represented on the album. The album has a scariness to it, you know, that I think is great. I think it's, I think it's, there's an honesty to it that I just really, really love. Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) Um, Cool. So before we play our last song, because we're getting we're getting to that point. Yeah, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Just we need to talk about this, but we're not going to play anything from it because of rights usage issues. <laughs> just because we can only play three songs from one album, but we need to talk about <laughs> um, "Sound of Confusion." Oh yeah, which is like the fifteen-minute-long like song suite. <laughs> That ends this album that we really could do a whole other episode about because it feels like it's a whole other album yes. tacked on to the end of Thank God for Mental Illness. Yes. So also like, a very psychedelic choice to have just like a 30 minute song <laughs> like, yeah. with like five songs in it. Yeah. <laughs> and like tones and like yeah. and like noise he's recorded yes. and street like street sounds, street sounds, you know. So uh, what do you think about this? I, I want to throw it back to you here. <laughs> What's your opinion? I I like it. Usually I'm not someone to go for a 30 minute anything uh in music. <laughs> yeah, that's not very Kyle. No. Yeah. But uh but I uh but if you listen to it it is 
it's one song technically, but there are like five distinct songs in there, and they're all like uh, pop songs that work would work by themselves if they were their own tracks, and like they really cover the gamut of their influences on it. So like, it doesn't sound like the rest of the album, which is super unique. It sound like they have uh, there's like droney tripping out, uh, but then they've got like. Uh, They've got like sort of Brit pop, like '90s Brit pop sounds. For in there. sure, yeah. And then they've got like more direct, like shoegazy sounds, which they kind of experimented more in their early career. And they're sort of considered early shoegaze, Definitely. right? Yeah, yeah they were, they were like a big on the influence edge. on the shoegaze, yeah, yeah. scene. Uh huh. And uh, yeah, they were definitely a part of that. So they kind of had like a a shoegazy vibe there too. Can, and should we describe shoegaze as a genre, maybe, to people that don't know what it is? It's sort of it's sort of not a genre that is that popular anymore but certainly was sort of when i was a teenager into like my early 20s yeah i'm i think there it's kind of i would describe shoegaze as um heavy guitar effects uh, dr- uh creating like a drone yeah type feel um and like uh ethereal <laughs> ethereal yeah yeah and like long yeah long <laughs> the yeah. songs are kind of long uh yeah. i love shoegaze type stuff and like uh i think it's garbage no i don't i don't think it's garbage well, uh, well, i used to see i used to see my share of shoegaze back <laughs> in the day yeah uh and i think probably it can be like so boring sometimes but like uh i like more like dream poppy stuff like yeah. cocktail twins and stuff like yeah because it's, like, it's like shoegaze without the like testosterone <laughs> yeah it's a little more focused yeah uh, dream yeah. pop yeah. yeah and uh a little uh, it's just it's sort of like this ambient etherealness but i would say created by guitars like a lot yeah yeah it's it's interesting and and definitely definitely it, it had to do with like the psychedelic resurgence of the 90s definitely. the you know a, a look back towards the 60s and what did the 60s teach us yeah which is something i ask myself every damn day kyle <laughs> <laughs> what if this i wake up every morning and go what is, what's the, what si- the 60s teach what are the 60s us? gonna teach me today yeah. or like when you make choices you're like what would they do in the 60s oh my god <laughs> i don't do that because it's a lot of sexism <laughs> and a little too much drug use even for my taste yeah yeah no and, and we are clearly talking about the nixon 60s here so <laughs> the nixties <laughs> anyway uh, should we listen to the uh the uh, yeah let's take a listen to the last song we wanted to talk about it's the first song on the album uh it's sort of it sort of brings us into this whole world yes which is definitely but but also it sounds like it brings us into this world, lets us know in a lot of ways what we're in for, but then in other ways it has elements that don't appear anywhere else in the in the uh That's on the true. Album. That's true. Okay, here we go. It's Spanish B from the Spanish Brian B. Jonestown Massacre. <laughs>
Okay, so this is how I want to start this conversation about this song. That was uh, Spanish Bee by Brian Jonestown Massacre. We're Kick the Jukebox on KPIS.FM. Ah, the Golden Stream. (laughs) Broadcasting from the new podcast RV in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. Yeah, we did it. I said all the things. So (laughs) I just want to... Uh, start, I think, by kind of deconstructing the percussion it's of this. W- it's so beautiful. Cool. Yeah. So we got some hand claps. We got some hand claps. Th- also, just a quick... So this song is also in 6-8 time. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, one, that two, totally makes... Four, four, five, six. six one, one, two, three, four, five, five six. six. There's not a lot... Well, no, no, no. 6-8. Is that right six, for 6-8? Six, 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 yeah, it's... it's yeah. yeah, 6... <laughs> six uh, because one, two, three, four, five, six, that's just three, four time. But, but it is, but the, it's where the emphasis is. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Dun, dun, so, dun, yeah, dun, was, dun, dun, yeah. dun, 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 No, you're right. You're yeah. right, Kyle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Yeah. No, it's, it's gorgeous and it's very strange. It's so weird. weird. Yeah. But so catchy. Like it's still like. So we got the ta- song, yeah. we got the tambourine in there. Yep, we got a tambourine, and then we've got the hand claps, which yep. are like Spanish style, yes. like which is really bolero, interesting. Kinda, yeah, 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 bolero style. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, I think we've got stomping. Mm-hmm. I think we've got some stomping, and then something that sounds kind of like a whip. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like crack, 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 and it sounds like far away, like. What is going on? And like all these, I think were these were live takes, uh, most of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I don't think there was there was like hardly any overdubs. So like that that's why it kind of has this like amazing loose kind of jangly quality, because um, uh, I think they really recorded it live. So and what the lyrical content of this? <laughs> what's going on in this song? What is this about? Why should we even try? <laughs> should we look up the lyrics to this? Yeah. I'm just kind of curious. Uh, uh, I haven't thought about it until now. Well, but I we think, definitely can. Well, what's interesting is the, you know, the verses are decidedly more Spanish, uh, Mexican influence. Yes. Um, but then the choruses sound uh, a little like folkier, uh, like melodically, like, why even try? Mm-hmm. Like that part. Yeah. Um, like, oh, almost a little chamber poppy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah. Lyrically, it's it's pretty interesting. I'm convinced. I confess, it's a mystery. I leave it alone. Why suppress happiness? It's a glimmer, a given unknown. And then into the I could have tried. And the yeah. second chorus is why even try? Right. Yeah. You know, there's definitely sort of a dire. Yeah. There's a di- right off the bat. There, there's immediacy to this whole record. Like he maybe thought he was gonna die. Yeah. Honestly. And I'm kind of glad he didn't die. It was called "Thank God for Mental Illness." Uh, I mean, it's he's he's not fucking around. He's battling shit. You yeah, know? and he's addressing. Yeah, he's addressing sort of his demons and and what makes him who he is. And, yeah. And in some ways, it's sort of a celebration of who he is, kind right. of gruesomeness and all, the yeah. whole record. Yeah. Exactly. And that, and that's kind of what he sort of mentioned is why he called it that was, uh, 
it is exactly addressing the root cause of his struggles and also his personality because he it, he's it's kind of a fuck you to everyone who says he's crazy this mm-hmm. is what he said it was like no but what makes me so good is the fact that i'm crazy mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of a crazy thing to think in and of itself so it's like it is you know? it is and in a way it's a bit of a crutch yes from definitely. you know taking the steps you need to like live a healthy life definitely. and this was like in the throes of kind of the worst of it for him like his best music and also his worst behavior yeah best music worst behavior (laughs) yeah yeah which is which is impressive yeah you know compared to a lot of other artists who their worst behavior often accompanies their worst music right you know like brian wilson wanting to lie in bed and just sing short and bread for 10 years yes exactly like johnny carson yeah exactly (laughs) although his song about johnny carson is very good love that whole album we'll get into that a whole other episode So, yeah, um, overall, uh, you know, I, I would highly recommend watching Dig. Oh, you got it. Dig is just a really interesting documentary, and listening to this album as an intro to this band, it was, for me, it, was, it served as my intro to this band. Yep. And this was, you know, like, just looking at, at the legacy of this record, this record has always, I think, since it's come out, been a record that people really love. A select group of fans really, really like and music fans really enjoy. But they never really found a big mainstream success. No. They're sort of this cult underground band. And he's yeah. he's sort of this cult underground, you know, band. Person. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they've they've. Because of the documentary, mm-hmm. they've become a lot more popular than they would have otherwise been. So yeah, they've played Glastonbury. They've played, um, you know, they've been able to tour around a lot more. Uh, they're, you know, uh, more people listen to their music than they would have otherwise. But yeah, they are definitely still like a culty underground band. Yes, a beautiful culty and, and underground band. Yes. God bless. And also, I think. Uh, you can play any Brian Jonestown Massacre. You can play anywhere for anyone. I think everyone likes it. Like, it, or I like. I think it's like you could play it at a party. You could play it like when you're like hanging out with your parents. You can play it like uh, if you've got. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's great for any vibe. Wow, <laughs> calling all dads to the <laughs> Brian jo- to the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Calling all dads. Calling all dads. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should change the name of our show to Calling All Calling Dads. Calling All Dads. Calling All Dads. Sign me up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, <laughs> Kyle. Calm down. No. Um, well, th- this has been a good discussion about this, and I feel like it sort of helped clarify for me why people love the you know this guy so much and yep. love his band so much. And, um, yeah, thank you for bringing this in. I also feel like this is a little different for us in terms of what we do on the show. Yeah. This is a bit more of a low key record. Sure. Yeah. And I'm really happy to get to do it. Like, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's really interesting and it definitely expanded my horizons. So thank you, Kyle. Glad to do it. Well, this has been Kick the Jukebox. I'm Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) Who are you? Wait, who? Who are you? I'm Kyle. Okay, great. I, uh, I'm Louis Perlman. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at KTJBPod. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Kick the Jukebox, on Facebook at Kick the Jukebox. Please, you know, chat with us, listen. 
uh, tell your friends, rate the podcast now that we're back on iTunes, do all that fun stuff because we really love doing this. This is for us sort of our like big we're in love with this project yeah. and you know we love music and we just want to share it with all of you so yeah this is kick the jukebox on kpiss.fm the golden stream and uh we'll see you around like a record